Hold up, I ain't trying to stump, man. But the Yeezys jumped over the jump, man. I be in and out of penis like I'm Scotty Pippen. Left my elbow in the pot, I like Vince Carter. Bitch, you weren't with me shooting in the gym. James Harden with the range on me, nigga, way back. Coach, they won't knock me off my pivot, get it? Been flowing stupid since Vince Carter was on some through the legs arm and a hoop shit. And you can live through anything if magic made it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, now you do. Lovers, lovers, lovers of the association. There's a lot going on around the league, and let's get to it. All right, so Fred Van Vliet had went off on the refs. And, you know, officiating, it's, it's, a, major, it's a major question mark for a lot of the fan bases and from a player's perspective because we don't really know what gripe a lot of these refs have with like the way the league wants them to call these games and you know what what issues they really have with the job like as far as nba players we kind of see their issues with in free agency or like things like load management we see like the small issues the players complain about or like the scheduling the travel time or just playing through injuries we see what complaints they have but from the refs perspective we don't really know what's going on between them and the league it's almost like I don't want to say the refs are like the Illuminati, but they sort of are kind of in that operation in which everything is in secrecy. Remember, the NBA is a TV product, so it's a lot of gray area when it comes to refing. Now the NBA is in partnership with the gambling companies. That's another gray area. And then how they treat the referees and officiate that whole segment of the league how it works from the hiring to the firing to them getting graded on their job. No one really knows how that works. At the same time, the league is tweaking the NBA to be a great television product. And at the same time, they keep updating the refs on how to officiate these games and making a lot of small tweaks in the rule books to kind of give offensive players the freedom of movement and the freedom to, uh, I guess I would say, score and kind of give the fans what they want. Sort of like what the NFL does with the quarterbacks now which they really can't get hit and the nfl in a way kind of tweaked their product to be great for gambling great for fans to participate with in fantasy they kind of tweaked the rules all in favor of those things and i feel like the nba is kind of going in the same direction but there's going to be little gray areas and little hiccups along the way but fred van vliet spoke on the referees and like i said once again he went off i mean i don't mind i'll take a fine i don't really care i thought you know um Ben Taylor was fucking terrible tonight. Um, I thought that on most nights, you know, a couple of the, you know, out of the three, there's one or two that just fucked the game up. And the one or two off rip I could tell is Scott Foster. For some reason, when there's always a controversial play, he's always seems to be in the mix. But once again, because the referees don't do like press conference interviews, they don't really kind of let the media and the fans know what issues they have with the league tweaking the rules to make a great television product and thus affecting their jobs on how to adjust on the brand new officiating from season to season because this stuff is happening gradually especially from the i would say from the 80s the way they call travels to the way that they allow players to kind of palm the ball because if you look back even like in the 70s 60s all the way through the 80s and 90s players used to have to put their hand above the ball and dribble if they put their hand on the side of the ball and dribble, it used to be a travel or a carry. But now, as years have gone by, 
especially in the 90s and no i wouldn't say in the 90s i would say that in the 2000s guys like Allen iverson were allowed to carry the ball from the side but now nba players are kind of allowed to carry the ball underneath so you see all these gradual rule changes to allow the offensive player free flowing of movement even the continuation calls have changed what's a continuation now it's 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 pretty it's pretty long compared to what it used to be you know and it's it's, it's been like that a couple couple games in a row um denver was tough obviously you come out tonight you're competing pretty hard the third quarter i get a bullshit tech changes the whole dynamic of the game changes the whole flow of the game and um you know most of the refs are trying hard i like a lot of the refs are trying hard they're pretty fair they communicate well and then you got the other ones who just want to be dicks and um just kind of fucks the game up nobody's coming to see that shit. they come to see the players and um i think we're losing a little bit of the fabric of what the nba is and was and um it's been disappointing this season um you can look up most of my texts this year have been with ben taylor officiating so at a certain point as a player you feel it's personal and um it's never a good place to be that's not why we lost tonight we got outplayed um but it definitely makes it tougher to overcome so austin rivers also spoke about this and once again we're in an interesting media landscape because now we get an in-depth perspective from the players and he kind of mentioned how Fred Van Vliet was in a contract year. And sometimes these refs, the way they fuck up calls while players in a contract year, could really fuck up their money. I didn't say it. This ref sucked. We kind of just aired it out. Yeah. I know you've felt that way before after a game. You probably didn't do it the way he did it. But did you see that? It's tough because in the moment of emotions, it's, it's especially as a player, you like anything, you take things personal. So when you see or when you feel that, you know, calls weren't going your way or they weren't right or even in your mind at the time, fair, right? That's what you feel. It's it's really hard to to speak objectively and, and, and like say something positive about the officiating right after a game. Uh, and then you'll watch the game back and you can understand that calls could go either way, you know, and that there was so much that could have gone right in the game or, you know, better in the game for why you won or something didn't go your way. Has officiating this year been a little bit different than usual i do think so i think the fishing has 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 changed but i don't know if it's the official's fault or if it's the way the game is wanting to be called i don't think exactly right then and there austin rivers is actually pointing out how the league is tweaking the product once again the nba is a television product it's an entertainment product so they're tweaking it in a way in which they're trying to keep fans engaged particularly young fans which is a demographic they're struggling to obtain and to go and to watch these games in full. I think this is a combination of not just the refs, but also the way the NBA wants the NBA to be played. Uh, more fouls, more shots, more threes, faster pace. It's extremely, it's extremely difficult to guard players in the NBA now. It's it's so funny that a lot of former players always talk about how it's so much harder to, to play it back in the 90s and 2000s when you could literally grab somebody and hand check them with their arm. I, I wish I could guard the players that I guarded today's day and put a hand on them and be able to guide them with my body movements. You cannot touch anybody now. And if anybody flops, especially after a jump shot, if it's a superstar, you could bet they're getting three calls. It's very difficult to, to, to compete sometimes against some of these guys in the way it's being officiated. I can understand Fred's frustration. I think everybody does. I think the fans do. I think even the fans who aren't even in the game can watch from the outside and understand that the officiating this year has been 
uh, you know, maybe I don't want to say not the best, but it's just been different, man. I, that's the best. Do you think it's a good thing? I'm, I'm trying not to get fined here. No, no, for sure. And look, it's so prevalent that players can't speak about it. That look, even in this podcast, Austin Rivers is kind of waving the white flag, like, hey, guys, don't find me. Once again, this was me saying earlier how the way the NBA has that relationship with the referees, the way they conduct and evaluate how good a ref is doing their job is sort of operating like in the Illuminati, where it's like nobody really knows what goes on. It's almost like a secret society. How do the NBA refs even work? And me, in my experience, because I remember when I was in school, I had a professor. He actually was a retired baseball umpire. And the way the umpires live, they're actually being watched. And he further elaborated how it's easy for those guys to get bored because their lifestyles are very, very, very simple. It's like mostly golf. Then they ref the games at night. And it's pretty much the same thing repeating day after day after day. But their lifestyles are being monitored for gambling reasons. And going back to the NBA, like I said, it's kind of a gray area right now because we all know most of the professional sports leagues are in bed with the gambling companies. They're even promoting the gambling product on television. So it's kind of a gray area in what the league is in right now. It's the, do you think the last two-minute report, do you think that's been a good thing? Or afterwards, they said, you know, we missed this call. We did that. Or is that just kind of salt? In the uh, I don't know what that point is. What difference does it make? It doesn't change anything. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. What really, what really, what really the, bothers me fans? is when they review, when they review a call and they still get it fucking wrong. That happens all the time. Yeah. They'll review the call. They'll see, they'll go in the booth looking through a camera at like 10 different angles and still make the call wrong. It's frustrating. I'm getting frustrating talking about it right now. You can see it. It's oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to switch topics before heated. I get like fine. Like, yeah, I don't even want to get into that. I also think that there's a lot of young officials right now, and you know that's also there's a learning curve with that. We just talked about it with basketball players and how they have to learn their stripes. And I think the same thing with officials. Uh, the younger they are, sometimes the harder they are to talk to, uh, just because they're kind of short tempered and they have something to prove. So I think it's it's a it's a bond. I think. Uh, we got a lot of young officials that still need to grow just as young players do. So hopefully it gets better. Um, I try not to focus on it because you just have no control. You can't even talk about it. It's like talking about the mafia. Or it's like talking like the Illuminati, like how I mentioned before. It's, it's a secret society thing when it comes to the way the, the league manages these referees. You know, they'll, they'll <laughs> find you or come for you. I don't, I don't even want that smoke right now. So that's the last thing I need. So there you have it. You hear from a player's perspective. And in reference to, I would say, generation-wise... Because he mentions a lot of new officials. As we understand now, and every year going forward, the baby boomers are retiring. So a lot of the older officials that we've seen, these guys are moving on to the next phases of their life. So there is a brand new crop of referees. Also, the NBA is trying to diversify. So they're making sure that they kind of fill a quota of like women referees or referees from different type of backgrounds, which is a brand new thing that we see the league is doing. But like I said, the way that they operate with choosing officials or the way that they come up, all this stuff is in secrecy. Nobody really knows how these people get selected. And these people don't do interviews and kind of display some of the gripe that they have with the league when it comes to them doing their job. So it is what it is. Once again, just overall, the NBA is tweaking their product to be a great television product to still attract younger viewers as that is a demographic that they are struggling with. So 
a situation like the Jean Morant situation with him suspending him is going to be very interesting because he does attract the younger viewers that the NBA is trying to maintain, that younger demographic. I would say preteen all the way up to high school. That demographic is not watching these games in full. All right, so Draymond Green had did a sit-down with Gilbert Arenas, and they spoke about the new media. And the NBA overall is in a tricky situation with their TV partners because now with the new media landscape, players are kind of diluting the ESPN and TNT product because now they're starting their own media companies and they're interviewing each other and they're revealing a lot of the animosity, some of the dynamics between the media members and the players that are happening. And the players now have a medium to kind of circumvent getting that one-on-one -on -one ESPN interview and they can actually give their side to the story. But Draymond Green and Gilbert Arenas is interesting that they spoke to each other on the new media. You guys check it out and every once in a while, I'll check in. And what I decided was like, this is like new media. Yeah. This is new yep. media because players get to talk to players. Mm -hmm. We both understand each other. We both understand how to protect each other. You know what I mean? So, absolutely. This is this is the lane. We're we're different from the big media who who has no. They don't care about the person themselves. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They don't have to interview none of us. They can just talk about us. Yeah. With the podcast, absolutely. We we need each other. And if I say something about a player, it's not a grudge. I can say something bad about him today. I can say something good about him tomorrow. You know what I mean? This is not, yep. you know, I don't, I don't hold no grudges against a player, you know? And when players see that, okay, okay, he gave me my credit here. Okay, cool. They don't take it personal. You know, yep. with ESPN or Absolutely. them, they go, they go, they hold it like you did something personally to them. <laughs> yeah, well, I think with a lot of this media, man, you start, you start, like these guys, they're no longer just dissecting basketball games. No. They're like, taking shots at people's character. Character. Yeah. And that's facts. And we see it all the time play out. A lot of the media members now, they can't just hide the fact that they're fans. I mean, just the way they overtly kind of, you know, biasly report on certain players, it's starting to illuminate out to the viewing audience that a lot of these analysts on TV, these so quote-unquote called experts, it's kind of showing now that they're, they're pretty much just fans. I had like I had um I had an issue last week, uh, and I spoke about it on the podcast or a week maybe two weeks ago now whatever it was when Russ got traded away from from the Lakers. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, I'm not in the Lakers locker room, so I can't speak on how Russ was, how anyone was mm -hmm. towards Russ, um, what his attitude was. I can't speak on any of that. But it, it, the entitlement in media today is what really, like, like I, you know, I would speak, like you just said, the new media. Like, I speak on this new media thing. And initially, when I started speaking on it, everyone think I'm talking about, like, oh, athletes doing media. Like, athletes been doing media. Like, I'm not the first athlete to do media. <laughs> I have a podcast. But when I was, when I first started speaking to new media, the new media to me was, or is, like, going about media a certain way. You know, like, um, there used to be a term, as you know, called a homer in media. That term is non-existent anymore. Like, you see people on TV actually cheering for a team. And that's facts. And that's, Draymond's alluding to what I spoke about before. A lot of these guys are really fans. 
just with corporate jobs and wearing suits and you know they got the ability to be on tv that's it's pretty much showing the viewing audience that's just what it is now and another issue is that a lot of these guys they're hiding behind random sources as this as if they're facts i mean sometimes they just say random source but really the whole time no one told them anything they're just trying to create a narrative and they can hide behind oh it was it's a random source that they're mm -hmm. critiquing against another team as if you're not a human being and you don't feel a way about yeah. this person like that just doesn't come into play like you mm -hmm. can just push all those emotions and so like the term homer is no more which i think is ridiculous because it doesn't allow you it doesn't allow you to do um unbiased journalism like you can't you can't give an unbiased opinion you're giving me your biased opinion which like all right, it's one thing if, if your biased opinion is on basketball, but now these biased opinions are turning into character, characterized mm -hmm. opinions. And I don't like that. And so Dave McMiniman, who I don't really know from a can of paint. Uh, <laughs> and Dave McMiniman, you know, he's a guy that just hides behind these sources. Once again, when he alluded to Russell Westbrook's character, he quickly said, a source says. And that's like the new media cold term saying that I could just create this narrative and I'm going to hide behind a source says it. So no one knows if that's even true, but it's just it's just a nice little gray area the media gets to hide behind. It, so, it serves like a, a nice little soft cushion that they could just create any narratives on players, and it's really affecting their livelihoods. He says Russell Westbrook was a vampire in the locker room. And I'm sitting there listening to it, and I'm like, okay, that's strong. Mm -hmm. And then he just stopped. Now I'm like... If you're going to say someone's a vampire in a locker room, A, that's something that someone has said to you. Mm -hmm. And I know how this business works. They probably said it in passing, like, man, like I can see it. Like somebody like, man, that vampire out of here. And then you run on TV and you say, they got rid of a vampire in the locker room. That's a character hit. That mm -hmm. can affect his livelihood and his next job. So if you're going to say something like that, you better have example A, B, C, D, and E to validate you calling that man a vampire in the locker room, right? And so yeah. that's been my whole thing, like, with media. Like, it, it's not what it used to be. It's not what it's intended to be. So I agree 100% on the conversations that you're saying about, like, players interviewing players because that's, that's my number one goal with this show. It's like, it's a safe space. Um, mm -hmm. If you say something in this interview, and like people, you'll hear it now. But if you say something in this interview that's gonna get you in trouble, we taking that shit out. Like yes. we're protecting each other. Like I'm not about to put that out there just to get you, like to get some clicks and get get some people. To, like no, we taking that out. Like protect the guy because I I look at it like this: if you protect someone. They'll always come back. I don't back need to off. get some clicks off exactly. somebody else. Listen, I'm that that and and I think that's what people started realizing too with me. Like, you know, I'll have the TOs, you know, he's a personality, mm -hmm. Nick Young's, um, Fizdale, right? And mm -hmm. you know, they'll say some things and you know, and then we get to really like gauge it. Like what I want, what I want that clip to be out about me. Um mm -hmm. Nah, he's, he, you know, he's trying to get a job, this and this. You know what? Hey, the last 20 minutes, cut it, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's a nice little layer of protection because, remember, we used to see a lot of these one-on-one -on -one interviews on national TV, but 
every guy had their person. For example, Michael Jordan had Amon Rashad. Kobe Bryant trusted Stephen A. Smith. Allen Iverson, the same way. He trusted Stephen A. Smith. That Matter of fact, that's how Stephen A. Smith actually got his come up. It's through the one-on-one interviews with Allen Iverson because he did not trust the media and the type of characterization they were trying to you know, make him to be just because the way he looked. But behind closed doors, most media members, they always say that Allen Iverson was one of the nicest people they ever met. Yep. There was a point where, you know, my man T.O., that's my man, and as a friend, mm-hmm. you know, just not an athlete, as a friend, like when Golden State was trying to get me back, I was on a private jet with T.O., right? So as a friend, you know, you know, some of the comments he was making, I said, as a friend, I'm taking it out. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to say it on your platform, okay, that's, wow. you know what I mean? That, but I'm not, you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, it, it goes against our friendship if I allow this to go out just to go viral to get some clickbait. So mm-hmm. that's going out. We keep our friendship. I come on your show, you come on my show. And that's what athletes are doing. And I think that's what, the media, the old media is not really understanding. Mm-hmm. The athletes, we don't, we don't fuck with y'all like that. Yeah. But like we rock with each other. No matter what we say, we know we can call each other and say, oh, my bad. You know, I, I, was, I was just, I fucked up. <laughs> you know what I mean? We can do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> and also the player on player interviews brings a whole new perspective for the viewing audience. A lot of these analysts, they report the news on these players like fans. So we're getting a fan's perspective in reality, but with the player-on-player interviews, there's a lot of inside scoop and inside perspective that we never heard of until this new media landscape. So there's plenty of room in the market for these new players to come in and start their own media companies. Do that all day. Like sometimes I'll say something and I DM, hey, hey, I would just, you know what I mean? I'll DM. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's respected. I, you know, yeah, I, wanna, I want you to understand it. where I was thinking. It might have came out wrong, but this is what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's the space that athletes are starting to move in where they can trust, you know, the podcasters knowing that I have editing, you know, editing control and whatever you don't like, hit me up, we'll remove it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, it's incredible. I think that's dope. I think that's what's made this space like for me. It, it's what it's what made it's what's made the space one that I really want to live in, you know, because and you know, so, someone just said something to me yesterday at practice. Um, he's an assistant GM of ours. He said, "Yo, I appreciate the way you're going about doing media because you're you're creating a lane for guys. Because lane, like guys, don't see it anymore and be like, oh, you have to sell out. Like, you have to say things that you really don't want to say. You have to, att- aka Kendrick Perkins. We've seen it with a lot of basketball players. Kendrick Perkins, Jay Will got caught up in that." A few times, but he kind of toned down from that. The only player I've seen that actually mastered this without selling out the players is Jalen Rose. He actually mastered being a great analyst for a national TV company and kind of mastered the ground of giving the viewing audience a, a perspective and giving the players a lot of leeway to maneuver. Guys, like you don't want to like I no, I can I can be very critical of <laughs> yeah. Steph's game. And, and not attack him. Like I, but mm-hmm. I can be very critical of um, Anthony Edwards, the game Anthony Edwards have, or the week he's. Ha- I can be very critical of that and not attack him. Attack and yeah, not, attack, and, and, yes. and, and that's what we see a lot in media today. And I just totally disagree with it. And so my goal is to change that. My goal is to make that style of journalism obsolete. Because uh, yes. 
media is becoming more and more uh, prevalent. It's as accessible as it's ever been, and that'll only continue to grow and become more and more accessible. And you just can't have people out here doing a lazy job. Like, like just attacking people, man, that shit tired. Like, nobody want to hear that no more. Like, all the stuff we got going in the world, and you think I want to sit here and listen to you attack someone's character because they missed a the jump shot. Like, 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 we not doing that. It, it was so funny is that's why with you know with my new show Gills Arena I signed with uh, Underdog Fantasy right, and my whole thing is I wanted ESPN style, mm-hmm. right where it can be a bunch of us. We don't have to be in a suit. I, I don't have to tell you about the game wearing suit and tie, okay? And I- yeah, and that suit and tie, <laughs> Sports Center kind of format is completely out of date. The fact that everyone could look at the scores on their cell phones, and People don't want to go over highlights that they could just see on YouTube if they just want to go directly to that game. That whole Sports Center style format, I'm surprised they still haven't changed it, but that is completely out of date. And why the hell do they need a suit and tie? I'm just trying to figure that out. I feel like Apple, Apple in a way, um, they changed the, a lot of the ways the companies kind of operate because they kind of started that, like, you know, jeans and a t shirt style of retail. And just, you know, interacting with a customer base in that type of comfort. And a lot of companies ever since, they kind of copy that styles. We even see it transition into the office where people have casual Fridays. So there's a lot of changes that happen. ESPN, they still kind of look antiquated. They kind of look like they're in the 1970s with the guy in the suit and tie calling SportsCenter. Absolutely. Have the same format. So you can see I'm creating the same format, the same layout. Talking sports without attacking character. Yeah. Right. So even with Kyrie, I remember I was, I was watching someone, and they were like, you know, I'm not going to attack the character. We're talking about the basketball play. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I tuned off. Let me see if he can actually <laughs> know the difference. Right. I mean, I want to see if he knows the difference. And then absolutely, the person he's talking about is the character. You're talking about the man. <laughs> you, you didn't say nothing about. His ba- the basketball part of the player is mm-hmm. how does he come to practice? Is he practicing hard? How does he get along with his teammates? When he when he gets on that court, is he performing? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what's his practice habits? What's his like what is his eating habits? Like, that's the if you're gonna if you're gonna say basketball, critique that part. Yeah. Like when yeah. you start talking about, oh, he missed, you know, this because of you know, COVID and that's personal. That's, that's personal. the man. Yeah, that's the man. I yep. want to know when he's between those lines. When you're talking about basketball, what is he doing? That's all I care about. I don't mm-hmm. the the man part that can figure itself out. I'm judging this man part right here. And and a lot of the times, the reason why they're judging the character because it has an overall effect on the narratives that they're trying to create. See, a lot of these analysts, they've been doing so much arguments. They want to be right all the time. So if a player does something. Where, his, where it kind of de- debunks his narrative down the line, they're going to actually hate that player. So it's almost like you're watching these analysts kind of cheer for certain outcomes just so they can be right in front of the viewing audience and be like, hey, remember I made that statement. I predicted this. So a lot of it comes from that. We kind of see it play out with the whole Kevin Durant leaving Oklahoma City. A lot of the media members, they before then, they kind of hold on to the trope that LeBron was going to be the greatest of all time. But then when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors, it kind of 
brought that back down a little bit because it blocked LeBron from winning multiple championships. So a lot of media members, they went straight to Westbrook. They held him up. They said, oh, you know, he stayed loyal. They freaking voted him for MVP, even though James Harden that year should have been the MVP. And now we're seeing the reality of what Westbrook really is, as we've seen him on multiple contending teams, you know, really driving them out either through a first round exit or not even making the playoffs. So you see a lot of these narratives happen and it's playing out funny in the media because a lot of NBA fans are wondering why Westbrook went from MVP to now he can't even stay on a team. It's because once again, the media members, they held him up to a high standard due, due to the fact that Kevin Durant went to the Warriors because they hated Durant for making that move for blocking LeBron James from winning multiple championships. I'm cool with it. Yeah. You know, the, the rest of the stuff, that's not my problem. That's I not see my problem. He gets on the court. How does he get along with his teammates? All right, he's at the end of the bench. Okay, he's shaking hands. Okay, he's cheering. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But we can we understand that whole element. We 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 played. These guys haven't played. That's right. True. So they don't really know the difference between the two. Yes. They they do, but they're just going to attack the, play, the 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 character himself. Yes. Like the man, they're not going to talk nothing about his skills or what he brings to the game itself. And once again, there is a nice little space in the marketplace to give the viewing audience a brand new perspective from a player's point of view. And then players also point out a lot of things fans never knew about, and which the also the media members could never know about. So once again, the NBA is in a tricky situation because with their TV partners who are giving them a lot of money, the technology in the media has evolved so much where their own players are actually diluting the, the product of their TV partners. So it'll be a very interesting situation to see play out. We're starting to see that what the actual national media actually covers with these players speaking one-on-one -on -one with each other. So it's almost like the national media now is promoting these players' media platforms. It's a very interesting landscape, but we'll see how it plays out once again. So right now, being the fact that we're into March and the Denver Nuggets are sitting at the top of the West, and Nikolai Jokic averaging a triple-double, Jesus, once again, putting up even better numbers than the years before. It looks like the media is just trying to find excuses at this point to not give him the MVP. And this is going back to a discussion I had before as the league has a lot of difficulty promoting international players overall. This goes from Embiid to Giannis to Jokic. It's almost like the media don't know how to approach talking about these players holding them to a higher standard as far as like, oh, they should go and go, go get a ring the same way they do on the American players. They put that pressure on them. It's just not the same expectation for the international players. But it seems like nowadays the media is just trying to find ways of not giving Jokic that MVP award. And I always said the MVP award at times is sometimes a marketable award to market the new NBA stars or just a different player so they can put them on primetime. We've seen what happened with Jordan and Karl Malone. The year Karl Malone won the season MVP, Jordan won the finals. Same thing with Charles Barkley, got an MVP the same way. We've seen Allen Iverson get the one over Shaq instead of Shaq getting back-to-back -back MVPs. And especially this gray area was came into question heavily during the 2016-17 season with Russell Westbrook getting the MVP when it should have been James Harden. That wasn't even the best team in the league. And also, Russell Westbrook attempted the most shots. when That was like the season where we saw the most stat pattern from Westbrook, where it was clearly obvious. But they kind of wanted to fit into that narrative of Kevin Durant left 
and look, he put it all on his back. So a great area was really committed there. But at the end of the day, it seems like the league just having, I don't want to say the league, I should say the NBA media, always having difficulty finding a way to promote the international stars. It almost seems like they just don't want to give Jokic the MVP award for the third time in a row, especially making, making him the first player to ever do this, I believe. And at this point, it's almost like they find themselves just making excuses of not giving him the award. And, you know, it is well-deserved. At the end of the day, this is Jokic kind of window to win these awards. We see Embiid at times, he's up and down, not too consistent from start to finish during the season. Even though he does play great, but he goes through inconsistencies because of his injuries. And also guys like Kawhi Leonard is recovering. KD keeps getting hurt. Sometimes a player just has a window of winning MVPs because other players are going through transitions. And if it's not Jokic this season, it's definitely going to be Giannis. Giannis should be runner-up, not no Jason Tatum. But once again, a lot of media members are skeptical of Nikolai Jokic and just overall the Denver Nuggets. They don't believe that team is a really contending team deep into the playoffs to make a final appearance. But at the end of the day, the MVP is the best regular season award. And it's just like too much gray area these riders and NBA voters are creating around Jokic. It's almost like, once again, they don't want to give him the MVP. And I believe a lot of this, once again, has to do with the way the NBA media, they kind of don't really have an understanding of how to market some of these guys because they are not from America. They are culturally different. And there's always been an issue around the league, especially the NBA media, on how to kind of market these guys around the American viewership. When LeBron James had first joined the Lakers, we figured they'll get a few prime years out of LeBron, but eventually it's going to have to be a downfall. And now this season, we got to ask ourselves, approaching the month of March, when is prime AD going to kick in? Because initially, at some point, when they traded for him, there was going to have to be an initial takeover. And during that championship season, we saw glimpses of it, even in the finals, where AD, after game three, he was making a case for the MVP. The only reason he didn't get the MVP because he got hurt. But at the end of the day, we never saw that prime AD ever again. And LeBron James at his age, you know, he's still great, but he cannot carry a team going forward. It's too much mileage on those legs. But at some point, prime AD has to take over. And with all his injury inconsistencies, I'm not sure if we're ever going to see that happen. But with LeBron James not having this ankle injury, it's almost like we get a nice little window to see if AD can step up. And AD should be putting up monster numbers. There's no reason that this should not be happening. Because this should have been the initial plan going forward. LeBron eventually would have had to pass the baton to AD after being on the Lakers for at least four years. At some point, it'd be like, AD, you got to be Kobe <laughs> to Shaq. When Shaq was like kind of being lazy or going through his injury spurts, Kobe actually carried the Lakers and made sure that they had a decent record until Shaq recovered and got into the playoffs and then Shaq went in and did his work. AD was supposed to be in that type of role. And it's almost like with the inconsistencies with the injuries, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. And everyone's kind of seeing the real AD right now. He's kind of getting exposed a little bit in these past few years with the Lakers. But once again, his body got to get right. I mean, just the way he lands, he falls gets injured way too often 
I figured LeBron James at some point probably thought AD would take over a lot more minus the injuries but just when he is available just monstrous AD <laughs> LeBron James thought he would see that at least but AD is kind of making a case for it now because you know he's starting to put in the work with LeBron James being out the Lakers are kind of doing their thing gaining some momentum right now they're in the play-in but Either way, AD is going to get tested. So, because even if they get into the playoffs, they're going to be facing the top seeds early on. LeBron James, right now, he's at an age where, you know, he, he could felicitate the offense, but he's not going to be the main go to guy. He can control the pace. Remember, LeBron James is a basketball wizard. You know, as far as his mindset, the way he sees the game, he understands the outcomes. So AD has that to his advantage, but AD is supposed to be putting in the physical work. And LeBron James, from time to time this season, have put out little sprinkles of little quotes, kind of hinting to AD that he expects him to step up. That's why at times you see AD frustrated with LeBron. But at the end of the day, LeBron is speaking facts. AD is at a prime age. He should be in his prime for at least four more years. So at the end of the day, is he underperforming and kind of you know, stunting the Lakers' growth a little bit. Because the expectation here was, at some point, for AD to become the 1A guy and LeBron James just be the facilitator. And if AD doesn't step up, at some point, it's going to lead to a clash between him and LeBron. But with LeBron out now, we're going to see if AD is going to step up and if Laker fans are going to get the AD that they expected after the trade. For those of you fellas that work certain jobs, whether you're in corporate America or you work some type of industrial job where you look at the middle management. Sometimes they make hires to kind of weave out the weasel of who in middle management or just who overall on the team is causing the productivity to be kind of operating at a loss. And I think this type of hire with Quinn Snyder in the Atlanta Hawks is kind of coming into play in the same way here. They're trying to find the weasel of why this roster is basically a championship roster, but it's underperforming. And Trey Young already been through a number of coaches so far already. And if you look at the hiring of Quinn Snyder on the Hawks, it's very interesting because they gave him power of control of personnel. And also, if you look at the characteristics of Quinn Snyder, he's a no-nonsense coach. Very disciplined, very structured guy. And Trey Young, especially the way he's been operating on the offensive end, taking these wild shots and defensively, not disciplined at all. And the viewing audience could definitely foresee a potential clash happening here. As it's clear to me that the Atlanta Hawks made this hire to kind of fish out to see if Trey Young is the issue. It's interesting because sometimes superstars can actually hold their franchises hostage, knowing that the economy of their franchise has a lot to do with the figurehead. We see this play out with Ja Morant. We see the way he's acting out. He clearly understands that he is the whole economy of the Memphis Grizzlies. Same thing for LeBron James up in Cleveland. But with the interesting case of Trey Young, he is a small guard. He has very little wiggle room for mistakes. You see, the Hawks have to design their team around his deficiencies, a.k.a. not playing defense. And if you look through the NBA history books, you'll see that small guards don't really lead teams to championships. It's only pretty much Isaiah Thomas is the last one. And that was what, in the late 80s? So it's almost been like 40 years since that happened. So your success rate for having a small guard is very slim. So when you factor the Hawks already knowing this, and on top of that, 
hiring Landry Fields as a brand new GM in collaboration with a brand new coach that was hired. You already know Trey Young's chances for having leeway for making a lot of dumb mistakes and having arguments with personnel is getting slimmer and slimmer by the day. And best believe Nate McMillan did a beautiful job after taking over for the Hawks. They were going through a similar struggle as they were going now. And he led them into the playoffs. And they were able to knock out the Knicks. It was that season. Just for Nate McMillan, it's rumored in the past couple months, he was trying to put up his resignation papers. He was actually trying to get out of the team. So there's clearly a cultural issue going on in Atlanta. And as we all know, once you have a new GM and a new coach, sometimes they're not as committed to the previous players that were drafted by another GM. That's another thing to factor in. But once again, a lot of these franchises low-key are strong-armed by their superstars. And we're clearly seeing the effects of it with Trey Young here. He's been through way too many coaches in a short span. And this roster, once again, you look at their bench, they even just added Sadiq Bey. This should be a championship-bound team. I mean, for all the additions that they made to this squad, it's almost like now you're looking back and you're wondering if the Sacramento Kings getting hurtier was the better part of the deal as the Kings are sitting, you know, second place in the Western Conference. So this is not overall good looks. They got Brogdon on a steal. They were able to get DeJounte Murray in the trade, sending away all those picks. They added Sadiq Bey. This team should be a lot better than what they are. So we'll see how that plays out. Until next time, you fellas stay safe. Peace.